0: Welcome to Scholar Tea, where we are scholars giving you the tea. I am Cameron Carl.
1: And this is Shauna.
0: Shauna, let's take a temperature. What's the temperature check for today?
1: Mm. What flavor Kool-Aid describes your mood on today?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm trying to give the make sure I have the, the reason crafted correctly. I am grape, because grape is basic as hell. And today I feel pretty basic. By the time you all hear this, Hurricane Ian has come through Florida. Classes were canceled this week. It looks like Tallahassee won't be impacted as as bad. I'm knocking on wood if I can find some. I'm also praying. So then that means that like this is an opportunity for me to get things done. But like I just want to be lazy And like count this as a fall break that we don't actually get. So I feel pretty basic knowing that I don't have room and space to be basic. And I think purple grape is the most basic flavor of all of Kool-Aid.
1: She is totally basic. I hate grape. But I love you. (laughs) I'm red. I'm the red flavor. Um, Completely able to code switch if necessary. But I don't forget where I came from. A little bit holy and hood. Uh, that's how I'm feeling today you know I I've had to allow my veneer to be a little unpolished in certain situations because uh, you know sometimes people take you there so yeah I'm going back and forth pretty frequently these days between the person I am on campus and the person I was raised to
0: be what did you <laughs> complexity?
1: say of, yeah complexity of a flavor flavoring there like there's layers <laughs> in the you red said,
0: you said something and holy what what did you say
1: a little bit hood a little bit holy Hood and
0: holy is that on a t-shirt let's put that mm. on a, put that on a t-shirt hood and holy huh i think a few people have put that on a t-shirt <laughs> you know
1: but uh try jesus don't try me you know
0: mm. okay red kool-aid red was also the face of kool-aid so you know we are excited to have you back. Of course, the episodes go as they usually do. We are going to highlight a wonderful Scholar of the Week. We have some tea to spill that's really close to home for me here in Florida. We were so excited to get an opportunity to talk with Dr. Uh, Stephen Santa Ramirez, and we both have different relationships with Stefan. So it's just really good to see him and his brilliance in a way that offered an opportunity to drop some gems. So that was just a wonderful conversation that we're excited for all of you to hear. What's problematic? Conference season is coming. So we're gonna highlight some things that have been problematic in the past during conference season. And of course, leave you with those jokes of the day and spread some love through affirmation. Should we get into it, Shauna?
1: Sure, sure, sure. So um, today's scholar of the week is Deidre Cobb Roberts, PhD is a professor in the Department of Educational and Psychological Studies and serves as coordinator of the Social Foundations in Education program. Additionally, she is a USF faculty affiliate within the Higher Education and Student Affairs and Women and Gender Studies program. Dr. Cobb-Roberts is a former McKnight faculty fellow and received her doctorate from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Her research focuses on gendered racism in the faculty and administrative ranks of Black women in higher education. She interrogates the structures of power that potentially affect the interpretations of institutional climates, cultures, and experiences, as well as the mentoring practices and performance as Black women administrators. So please, if you haven't already picked up some of Cobb-Roberts' books, um, given her her high fives, her roses, please, please, please reach out to Dr. Deidre Cobb-Roberts. She's doing some amazing work around the experiences of Black women.
0: Shout out to Dr. Cobb-Roberts. So, Shana, these academic streets and these political streets have been filled with mess, just mess Mm -hmm. all over the streets. Mm -hmm. But today, I want us to spill the tea on Florida House Bill 7. Have you heard about Florida House Bill 7? Tell me more. Okay. So, Florida House Bill 7, in May, Florida enacted... House Bill 7, which was the first quote-unquote anti-racist theory bill in the country to directly limit classroom discussion specifically to higher education. So we've seen of quite a few bills at the K-12 through level. This is the first one to specifically target in-bill language, uh, critical race theory, discussions of race in the classroom. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, otherwise known as FIRE, um, talked about um, public universities and colleges, including the University of Florida, warning that some provisions in the new law that would regulate teaching in higher education are un- unenforceable because they violate the First Amendment. FIRE urged colleges to interpret the law as narrowly as possible, or if necessary, just to ignore it um, because of its, it's unconstitutional. The University of Florida, however, is choosing instead to chill faculty speech. And just some pieces of the bill, just so people understand what we're talking about, is that speech or conduct is regulated to training and instruction or any other required activity that espouses or promotes or advances or compels the individual to believe certain concepts such as that an individual by virtue of race, color, sex, national origin is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. They did have to revise the statute to clarify what is instruction led versus what's training. Anything instruction led is things like syllabus, lectures, um, assignments delivered by faculty, graduate students, um, or instructors. It also applies to guest lectures or speakers brought in by the instructor. Because instruction occurs within a course, the revised statute does not apply to faculty speaking engagements outside of specific courses or guest, uh, or guest lectures um, or keynote speeches. The um, University of Florida have told their faculty that there should be no discussions around um, race or, or other, other provisions. Uh, if it's going to get into the gray area of this particular law. My institution has not told us that. Um, They have stressed that we do have academic freedom. We just have to base our class discussions in course content. So there needs to be some type of reading or some type of thing. They have asked us not to necessarily share our quote unquote opinions, but to facilitate a discussion Almost in a both sides uh, realm. So, this is what's my issue with this, Shauna. Specifically, thinking about to me, there's no both sides to racism. <laughs> there's no both sides to sexism, right? Like, that's just not, I'm not going to entertain that and I'm not going to engage with that as an instructor. To me, there is historical underpinnings or historical knowledge that we know that certain groups have been oppressed um, and others have not. It is not necessarily the fault of certain people currently living and walking our college campuses today But if you are perpetuating, if you are sustaining, if you are upholding those ideologies, then I think that needs to be critically called out and examined. And I think the classroom is a place for us to do that when thinking about our policies and practices in the world we live in. It's Florida. Florida's a hot mess. But I think other legislatures are just going to copy and paste this bill. And it's obviously going to spread. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, my first thought is I've always been raised the devil never needed an advocate. The devil is the devil. So, you know, the the both sides of racism, uh, heteronormativity, sexism, et cetera, falls flat for me because whether or not there are individuals that understand how systemic racism works or systemic heteronormativity works, you do have an understanding that it exists. And I think that people and their touch point with with isms is different because of their positionality. But I would prefer it if you just call it a spade a spade. Like I feel uncomfortable. I feel like I'm losing, and I'd rather have that conversation than you telling me that it doesn't exist at all. Okay. Or you know that uh, I'm hurting your feelings. My feelings been hurt. My feelings lead to high blood pressure, though. That's the difference.
0: Or oh, I'm, <laughs> so... I'm I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Okay? <laughs> right. People have people have died because we haven't critically, but you are uncomfortable. So let's make law around your uncomfortability
1: and people have literally died because you felt uncomfortable for if it wasn't lynchings, it was environmental factors that increased someone's likelihood of death. And so, you know, my thought process around the both sides thought is really, well, you said you want freedom of speech what you really want to say is you you want to have the freedom to say whatever is on your mind, but you have concerns about if someone does the same. So, you know, this double talk or talking out both sides of your mouth, like I, I just can't get with it because I mean, I, I prefer consistency in general. And when you try to utilize that ideology as logic it just doesn't make sense to me you know and that's not even me as a personal color that's not me as a woman that's me just saying you know if we're talking about logic here none of what you're asking for is really making sense if you hold true that we need to have freedom of speech because those two things don't go together in my mind. But uh, freedom
0: of yeah, but also freedom of speech has always been rooted on rooted in freedom of speech for whom? Oh yeah, for, for when, for why, right?
1: So I just have a hard time with the inconsistency, right? Like you you care about I'm not saying that the people making this argument are the same people that are making the argument around pro-choice activism, but you you're saying that you care about someone's Right to live, you know, a right to be born, but then you don't give a damn about their li- lives or their lived experience once they're here as people. So that it just doesn't make sense to me. You think that we need to engage around freedoms related to speech, et cetera, until the, the, the people that are amplifying their voices are minoritized people. And then you have problems. So the, the argument will just never make sense to me. It just is irrational. I don't. I don't understand it.
0: Well, um, hypocrites and uh, bigots are oftentimes hard to understand, and I feel like that is what's rooted at the underpinnings of a law such as this. Yes, so that's what's happening in these academic streets. Let us know what's happening in your state. Like I said, I feel like these are going to be copy and paste uh, legislative agendas, especially at the state conservative house levels. So let us know what's happening and how your institutions are navigating for faculty and staff. Um, I know sometimes in faculty we have a, we sit at a place of privilege that staff don't sit at. And this also impacts trainings, right? So if you wanna bring in a speaker, you wanna do an MLK program, uh, I think this is gonna be be an issue.
1: Okay. so. Moving on to um, an individual who I really value as a friend, as a colleague, as a scholar, a resistor. Um, We're really excited today to speak with Dr. Stefan Santo Ramirez. And I'm just really delighted that y'all have some time or an opportunity to engage in the gems that he's gonna drop today.
0: Hey, 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 Scholar T. We are back with our guest today. Uh, we are so excited to have Dr. Stefan Santa Ramirez here to engage with us. Uh, Stefan, we have seen you in these higher-ed streets, so we are <laughs> so excited for the audience to hear, learn, and to witness your your brilliance. Uh, so thank you for being here and 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 saying yes to the yeah, to the invitation to chat course. with Sean and I today.
2: I'm excited. Thanks for having me.
0: So, if we want to just kind of jump into this conversation, really, we are interested in your career trajectory. Like, what drew you to higher ed? What drew you to now being an assistant professor up in Buffalo? Going from Buffalo to Arizona.
2: Yeah, I've been all or going all over from the Arizona place. to Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, I've been all over the place, and I'm currently right now in Dallas, Texas. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think I think similar to a lot of people that have like a student affairs administrator background uh we didn't really know it was an option as an undergraduate student because there's not like higher ed student affairs majors at the undergraduate level so i I used to work for a corporate corporate state farm insurance company and it was there that i was doing good work but intrinsically i still wasn't fulfilled but i thought leaving college that i was just going to be this like business person in the corporate sector forever And after my first year there, I was like, "Ah, I don't know about this life. And I met with one of my mentors, Dr. Kendrick Mickens, who at the time when I was an undergrad way back when he was an associate director of the Multicultural Affairs Office at my my undergrad, which is Westchester University in Pennsylvania. And he met up with me for lunch at State Farm and he was like you were like a, an amazing like student leader. Have you ever considered like a, f- like a career in student affairs? And I was like, wait a second, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> why, why haven't I thought about this before? Um, so anyway, it was from that moment and that conversation over lunch that I just got excited. And I was like, maybe I do belong on a college campus forever. And I started looking at job opportunities that evening and most required a master's degree. <laughs> so instead of job searching, I started graduate school searching and that's how I ended up going into a student affairs graduate preparatory program, and the rest is history from there. So, became um, an assistant director of multicultural affairs. I had a res life, you know, background at Michigan State and Oshana and I have a Michigan State connection um that's where we both did our master's degrees right yeah so I worked in res life there I also had a dual uh, appointment which I kind of like created because I just really wanted to work with the college assistant migrant program at Michigan State so I had uh folks agree to let me have this like dual appointment <laughs> during my time there and you know I then I moved over to Texas at UT Arlington and working in multicultural affairs um and I think slowly going or make this as as possible, moving from a full-time administrator role, roles into um, a faculty role, was mostly because as a advocate in a multicultural affairs and LGBT plus program, I was invited into a lot of tables. Um, where I got to talk about the issues affecting these uh, communities, right, that I got the privilege of working alongside every day and working on behalf of. But then I quickly noticed that although I was the expert in the room, because I didn't have a PhD, I wasn't allowed voting privileges, I guess, um, that ultimately affected, like, the policies that were really affecting the students that I got to work with. So I ended up looking into ed policy PhD programs, really with the intention of being able to come back into those spaces and people were going to be forced to listen to me because now i am the only expert (laughs) with a phd in policy I, i i've always enjoyed being in the classroom setting i love being able to put my practitioner work into practice but also bring it into these educational spaces and i think a lot of times when i think back of my own training and not to shade anyone or any program because no program is perfect I noticed over the years that there was a lot missing from my own um, preparation in school and I thought it would be cool to kind of be the faculty member that I thought I needed <laughs> throughout the course of my educational trajectory and I work diligently to continue to be that person. That I knew I needed in the classroom, and whose voices were represented, and who we're reading, and what are we doing, and what knowledges are we are we bringing to the forefront, or are we not right? Um, and and bringing my advocacy background into those classroom and classroom spaces too. So that's a little bit, or a lot of bit of how I got to where I am currently <laughs> as a full time faculty member.
1: So um, I think it's really interesting that you talk about all those things because. Um, You know, in a moment where folks are wondering if higher ed is the place for them, you know, you kind of started in a corporate space and then you went to administration and then faculty. Right. And I think others are kind of moving in those same kind of veins where there there may be faculty transitioning to administration or either um, moving out of higher ed and corporate. So, you know, there's a lot of movement happening right now. And I think a lot of folks are reflecting on this because of, you know, what's happening in the social um, in in society and and all the things that are happening in the social landscape. So when you think about your trajectory moving forward um, and thinking about how you progress so far, um, how do you see or imagine your career um, in the next 10, 20 years, given everything that you've experienced and everything that we imagine is on the horizon?
2: Good question, right? This whole mass exodus and folks just piecing out. And, you know, I, I've, I've been thinking, obviously, being in the field and having these conversations, and I teach, one of the courses I teach is like Intro to Student Affairs Administration. So, like, and we talk about all of this. Like, what does this look like yesterday? What is it gonna look like tomorrow? For me personally, I still do believe that my passion is in the academy (laughs) um in a higher education student affairs type of program and setting right but i also as a person of faith always believe that i am going to be where i'm supposed to be in those moments right so i might be saying that today and then three months from now i might look very different right because an opportunity came that i didn't even think was going to come but it feels right in my gut and in my spirit to to move forward in that direction and I tell people this all the time like we have a plan but the universe sometimes guides us in different ways and and I'm a firm believer that I'm supposed to be where I'm supposed to be in that moment in time hence why I've been all over this darn country (laughs) in all types of places and positions um, and institutions but I will continue to do to do good work I think what's important for me though is to have a leadership team that has the same values and morals as I do, I recognize that we are in a time I mean we're always in a time, but we're in a time where there's a lot of attacking on critical theories, on trans rights, on you know, critical race theory. Every everything that I stand for, I guess, right, there's an attack on. So what does that mean for someone like me as a critical scholar long term in a society that's constantly attacking, you know, us? And so I think about this often. Do I think I'm going to change the way that I approach my work or conversations? No, um, but I'm also feel like uh, I'm in a privileged position and that I work in the state of New York, which is relatively more liberal than a lot of other states in the country. We're not feeling as much of the wrath, although, you know, the field is the field out, you know, inside <laughs> New York is just a one state out of out of a bunch and we're just constantly getting attacks. But, you know, I also thought of, you know, I had that moment of, should I look outside of the academy? You know, a lot of people are doing it. A lot of people are getting paid a lot more money to do the work that we're already doing. You know, maybe ed adjacent positions, the corporate sector, etc. But then I remind myself too, that when I was there, I wasn't happy, you know? And something that I don't share often, but I think is important, As part of my testimony to leave the corporate sector is that I had a supervisor that was a white woman that was really trying to stifle my success. I refused to go back into a situation where I have white people stifle my success. And because in some type of corporate sectors, in order to even move up within the company, you have to have your direct supervisor's permission to do so, or you can't even apply. Right. And I don't know if a lot of people know that, but there's a lot of companies out there that that's the culture. And I refuse to be in a situation where I need permission from someone to tell me what's my next step or where I need to be or where I want to be, right? So sometimes, obviously, there's a lot that happens in the academy and, and out of it is, you know, ponies and unicorns. But also, it's not like that in other spaces, too, outside of the academy. And I just have to remind myself that I used to be in that position and I got out. For those reasons, you know, so again, I'm going to live my life day by day and what feels right today, I will, I will lean on that. And if it doesn't feel right tomorrow, then I will make alterations and what my future looks like.
0: Yeah, I, I still ask myself those questions, even now going through the, the tenure, sure. tenure process is like, oh, how long can I do this? Oof, yeah. Um <laughs> and, and even your, and even your why of why you do this work, right, is thinking about, there has to be some uh, ongoing healing and sure. restorative like reflection through sure. this because higher education, as you know, can, can beat us up, tear us down right. or try to hurt our spirit when we're just trying to, you know, put a little light in, sure. in, people's, in people's lives. So thinking about your own process and possibilities of of thinking about holistic work, transformative mm-hmm, work. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? How do you take care of yourself? Sure. What does healing and growing look like? How yeah. do you create learning spaces that are rooted in, you know, justice? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what does that look like?
2: You know, really good question and it's stuff that it, that I'm, curr- I'm I'm always working towards, right? Because the academy can make you feel less than <laughs> um not brilliant right when, when so many of us are just so brilliant but it, they have it has a way of socializing us into believing that we're not as brilliant as we are or purposeful as as we actually are you know i think something that i learned in the middle of my phd program when i started noticing myself having anxiety attacks for the first time in my life and and various mental health issues or concerns um, stuff that was happening to my body, where I had to go to physical therapy for things, like just because of the pressures and demands that was placed upon, upon me. And I would say that I placed upon myself too, being like halfway of a perfectionist and always having something to prove to myself, I think, which is not a really great trait to have, but something that I'm working towards and working through always. I remember having a conversation with myself and reminding myself that none of this is worth it if I'm not gonna be here, right? <laughs> and I started making active changes or going back to the lifestyle that I had before <laughs> being a PhD student, before being a full-time you know tenure track faculty member. And I said, I can't allow this field to kill me or any field, right? I'm saying this because it's my current field, but any field, any workspace to kill me. So I actively work out five, six days a week, which is my time, right? I really am conscious about what I'm putting into my body. I'm surrounding myself, whether that's in person or in virtual spaces around people who who get it who have maybe similar identities or, or lived experiences to me. And that includes like racially minoritized people, uh, gay LGBT plus folk, folks who come from high financial need family backgrounds. right? That helps me through this healing process, knowing that I'm not alone in this journey. right? And I have folks that love on me and that I can love on back and, and hold me accountable and, I, and vice versa. And I say and I talk about this stuff very openly and transparently to my students, too, which I think is really important. And again, being the faculty member that I always felt like I needed, I never had faculty that shared a lot about their lives. Right. That w- If they had mental health issues or, you know, if they were struggling in certain ways. And I'm like, but we're all we're all human. And I think I would have connected a lot more to different practitioners and my faculty, if they brought in that human humanization into our spaces. Um, so over over years, I've also learned to like not have these taboo topics. And then I only talk about it with one person, my spouse, right. But I'm talking about these things openly. And I think it's been really helpful for me in my own healing process, but also allowing others to see that Even some that appear to be the strongest, we have things that we need to work through and that we are working through. And that's okay, right? And it's as human beings, it's a journey. So again, taking care of myself, making sure I'm actively focusing on myself and the people that I love and care about because I always remind myself if I'm, one, not here, or two, I've focused so much on my job and on my work that... I turn around one day and everyone that I love is no longer there because I probably pushed them away That would be Meaningless for me like this is not this would be nothing. This life would be nothing without those people, right? So I'm constantly even through the madness and the publisher parish culture like working on ways to just put stuff aside Right and and spend time like quality time with the people that I love because that's more important to me than than the other stuff Everything else is secondary
1: well, and I think there's also a layer around like what it means to be vulnerable and what it means to provide folks with opportunities to see themselves represented in the academy that you touched on that most folks don't talk about, right? Like I, I think even in the literature and when we talk about this in passing at conferences, I, I feel like oftentimes we're focused on the external, like what people uh, actually appear into spaces to look like, Right and not necessarily thinking about really a holistic experience and how am I seeing my experience in the academy when it comes to mental health, for instance, right? So I think that that's really important that you're bringing that into your pedagogy and your praxis, Um, because I I don't think a lot of folks are thinking about that. I, I think sometimes folks just come into a space and like, well, this is enough, you know, not thinking about those other pieces. So, so how are you choosing yourself in all of this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm literally, like, scheduling time for me time, um, scheduling time for my partner, scheduling time for family. Like, I've been working really hard lately, and I decided the other day that I'm just going to get a flight to Dallas because uh, I have, like, a chosen family that are out here and I felt like I needed that and this moment right and it's been a beautiful like this last minute trip that has just been phenomenal to like refuel my soul and my spirit saying no and I think sometimes it's hard especially you know when we're socialized as early career tenure track faculty members and I work at a research one institution where demands are really high. Sometimes, you know, someone mentioned to me the other day, actually, I, w- I went to a, a pride festival in Buffalo, a parade, a pride parade recently. And there was an older faculty, he's like a full faculty member. And he was like, it's Sunday morning. And and, and, and my dean was there, who I absolutely love and adore, honestly. And, and she invited us over, she's a lesbian woman. She's a out lesbian woman. And she invited us over, a couple of us to her house before the the, the pride parade. And he, and he was so shocked that I was a second year like pre-tenure faculty on a Sunday not writing. And I was like, <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> you know, but be, because for so many years that has been the culture, right? So it's easy to fall into that, right? It's really easy to fall into that because you're like, well, if that's what it is, and if I don't do that, then that means I'm not going to be successful And what does success look like. And I've, I've learned that I, I define success so differently these days. Right. Success is like I need to be happy in my personal life to actually be successful in my work life. Right. And if I'm not happy in my personal life, then it's going to just, you know, fall into my professional life. And so I just choose myself. So I go to the parades and I make the random trips to spend time with biological and chosen family. And I say no to opportunities that other folks are like, you don't say no to that person or you, and I'm like, but I do, <laughs> you know? And if it hurts me later on, that's that's fine. But honestly, at the end of the day, I'm the talent and I have to remind myself that I am the talent and I'm here for a reason and you need me too, right? Um, so if I'm saying no, it's not because I'm lazy because you can see I'm not lazy at all. It's because I'm choosing my energies elsewhere and that could mean family and that could just mean myself right and when i have the time to commit to maybe a second project that you maybe want me to work on then i will i will let you know but today that's not that day and and i've had to learn to be okay with the idea of saying no but obviously saying yes to a lot of stuff like i could have said no to this conversation with you all but i'm like but you are like just two beautiful brilliant people that i love and adore so much so i will make time for you too but there's other folks that ask for for requests and i'm like i would like to but you're not on my priority list and that's okay you know i i i've learned to prioritize the people that i know will prioritize me um and that's 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 a part of the
0: problem so i needed that reminder (laughs) because of like the guilt that sure. I don't know I don't know where the guilt going mean, up uh, well it comes from whiteness it comes yeah, from productivity sure. it comes from capitalism sure. but like the guilt you feel from saying no and like I preach just thank you for the reminder because I needed to hear that in this moment because we I, all do I said no to something and I feel guilty about it yeah But like that guilt that guilt is really more about the per, like sure. the situation or the person than sure. it is about me right like it, sure. it doesn't speak to my worth sure. and those words that you just offered were a reminder so thank you for yeah. that I really do oh, Thank I really you. Do appreciate that you dropped some gems like we knew you would. So, so thank you for, thank you. for, for doing that. Uh, the next part that we like to end with is our uh, lightning round. You know, okay. this or that. You know, don't think about it. If you're okay. thinking about it, you're taking too long. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, there's no in the middle. There's no both of them. Okay, uh, okay. This 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 or that. Okay? okay. So we'll start with Philly or Buffalo. Oh, Philly,
2: for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Win a Tony or
0: write
2: an award-winning book? Ooh, maybe write an award-winning book.
0: Are you for the streets of the city or are you for the suburbs?
2: <laughs> I am for the streets for the city all day.
1: <laughs> Fashion or performance?
2: Performance.
0: I don't really like this one, but we'll go with it. Green or white? <laughs>
2: Green. Green. <laughs>
1: Green.
2: And I actually don't respond in the go way. I usually just say go green.
1: Same. <laughs> Well, we really appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule uh, to share time with us, to build community with our listeners, and um, really grateful to have you here. So, thank you for for coming on, and um, you know, look for Dr. Southa Ramirez in the street, in the street, at Ash, right, or in the city.
2: <laughs> yeah, I will be. I will be at Ash ACPA AERA. I'm planning to be at a, quite a few conferences this upcoming academic year. Oh, we will
0: see you oh, just really quick, do you, do you have something fresh off the press that's about to drop or any new scholarship you want to let the yeah. people know about?
2: Something that's about to drop in the review of higher education is a piece called Their Mere Existence is Resistance. Instead of, it's about the resistance efforts of Latinx undocumented students in the state of Arizona. That should be coming out soon. It's accepted. I'm just waiting for an actual date, but it should be coming out soon in the review of higher education.
0: So hopefully by the time you all hear this, yeah. pick it up, read it, apply it, cite it. Um, and thank you again. Thank Stephen, you. For being with us. It's been
2: such a pleasure. You two are phenomenal. And it's, it's an honor to share space always with you two. So thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Loved it.
1: So, you know, a little green and white action, you know, ghost party. That was a beautiful moment. And I'm really glad that we had a chance to share space with Stefan today.
0: I know it was nice to have you y'all little Michigan State people have y'all moment that was really mm-hmm. cute and nice but no mm-hmm. we love Stefan. I hope y'all taking notes you driving you know make a make a note in your phone because he shared I think he shared some really awesome insights about well-being and how to take care of yourself um, and really thinking more critically about centering that and prioritizing that as all of us continue to do that this work in different aspects of, of the academy talking about the academy, should we get into what's problematic this week? Yes, please. Yes. So conference season is either here or it's approaching for many of you or it hasn't really left. So as we prepare to embark on another cycle of conference season, we wanted to highlight what's problematic in these academic streets. And that is all things academic conferences. Mm. So first, I want to state what's problematic. Number one is the price of these conferences. I just registered for one, and I probably would have attended it by the time this episode's released. I'm gonna call it out because it's the International Leadership Association, and it was an $800 registration fee, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous. It's not a huge conference. It's about probably the size of ASH. And Ash is significantly—I mean, Ash can be expensive. It's all—it's all relative. Yes, I know, but I think it's absolutely ridiculous to ask anybody to register for a conference for that price. And I was just so disgusted. I was like, I don't I was like I don't remember it being this expensive. Maybe it was—I remember it being the one of the more expensive conferences I've attended. But I almost almost declined. I was like, this is this is absolutely ridiculous. So that's one first I mean the second is the lack and respect of the roles of of the conference that we have ascribed to over the years and roles I mean the discussant the chair right I think in our in our last episode Michelle talked about like chair being the most dis respected role, the chair's holding up, okay, time's up and the person continues continues talking. I also think that that is problematic and completely disrespectful, and not only to the chair, but to those that either have to follow you or the audience that wants to engage. So you taking up, the time is up, but you taking up another three to five minutes of time where people can critically engage in conversation or your work. Uh, and whatever you haven't shared can be addressed in a question and answer, you know, period, if if the audience so chooses to engage that way. The other one, and this one, you have had to experience it to think that it's problematic. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump in. The next problematic aspect, all things conferences, I think is the disrespect or the lack of attention to the discussant's time. And I have been guilty of this in the past Uh but for those of you the discussant is someone that reads the academic scholarly papers that have been accepted into into a conference and there's probably 3 3 to 4 papers that a discussant would read and then they would give commentary after each of those presentations in a conference session and i've been to been a part of conference sessions where a person has not submitted a paper at all. I have been in sessions where someone submitted it late. And I've also been in where, you know, people are well-prepared, submitted it on time, but then didn't get the deep critical feedback that they thought they were going to get. So for me, what's problematic about this is to respect the discussion's time in the sense of asking that there's a conference deadline usually to you submit your paper checking in with the discuss. I'm not usually, if I'm a dis- in the discussant role, I'm probably not reading that paper until I get on the plane. So whenever somebody asks for an extension, it's usually granted with me, right? But I'm also upfront about that once the email goes out. It's like, hey, I'm your discussant. If you need more time, please ask for it, right? There. Are, uh, that's the way my life is set up though. It's just really you know, busy. I know we're all busy in different ways. On the other side of that, there's some people The way their life is set up is they're going to set aside time before the conference and they've already carved out that time based on when the papers are due. And now you're holding up what they have carved out to give you some critical feedback because either you haven't communicated or you're just turning in your paper, you know, after the deadline. I think it's completely disrespectful to not turn your paper in at all. And I have seen people not do that, but still be able to present. So that's my rant right now. I'm going to pause. I know, Shauna, you you in these conferences, you give side-eyes to some stuff. So what's problematic for you, All Things Conference?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, I do want to also mention, as someone who is frequently a discussant, I work really hard to make sure that you know any kind of critique I have, you get it in writing. I will not do that in public. I think that's rude, right? So I think it would be doubly it would irk me to know in, if you did not turn in a paper and you didn't even say anything about it and you try to get your butt up there and present something that you didn't turn in. Oh my God, that would irk me. It would be really hard to restrain myself, but I would. On top of that, I I feel like people try to use the discussant as an editor. So you turn in some slop knowing that someone was going to review it with the, the, Instead of like paying for an editor to deal with your paper, you thought you would get some free labor out of the discussant. I don't like that either. That irks me, you know, and then finally, some of us like to throw stuff out there, like, you know, everything that we do fills a gap and it doesn't. So, you know, this real hard stretch to say the literature doesn't say any of this. And then, you know, maybe you just need to read more <laughs> that that also is difficult for me to sit through um I think the final piece I'll say is I don't like it when your abstract says one thing and you get up there and talk about something else because <laughs> I I mean and I don't care who you are and some some people know this for a fact because they're like oh my god I can't believe she did that to me and I'm like well your paper was one thing but your abstract said you were to talk about this and you didn't do that at all So I I don't like that. I like the idea that maybe this this wasn't necessarily an idea that you shared, but I think it was embedded in what you just said. If you didn't turn a paper, maybe you shouldn't be allowed to present.
0: Oh, I think that that is the key, like program conference chairs, you know, executive directors of these associations. Absolutely. If there is no documentation of a paper being submitted, they should not be on the program once the conference gets here
1: maybe that's a layer we need to add in the convention planning process, like, you know. Because to me, they're taking away
0: a spot from someone else. Like, there might have been a paper on the borderline that we didn't accept, and now you've taken a spot of somebody that could have gotten some, could have contributed to the conference, and also got some critical feedback from a scholar.
1: And I mean, I like that we offer some quote-unquote blind, um, or I'll say anonymous review of papers but some people find a way to let you know who they are right and so sometimes I think these papers are accepted just because we realize who it is um but if you you don't submit it then you don't submit it I don't care who you are you shouldn't be allowed to present it's ridiculous so i i think that should actually be a layer that's embedded maybe we bring it up to dr uh, gas and gales <laughs> when we talk to her
0: oh yes 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 sorry one more one last thing what's problematic and that is i'm audience participants observers you are not off the hook don't get to q a and you are asking a question that has nothing to do with any of the papers that was presented lord. and you are pontificating lord. i that that i can't take
1: lord or trying to tell someone that they need to add some different things to their their study. No, the study is this. And you, you didn't read the, the whole
0: paper. <laughs> you you didn't read even... none of
1: the paper. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't read the paper at all, uh, attendee. <laughs> <laughs> I got all these thoughts on what you should actually broaden your research on. My research is this, boo-boo, okay? Why don't you go do that for me then?
0: Yeah. Oh, man. Whew. Well, that is what's problematic. All things conference in these academic streets.
1: Well, let's lighten it up a bit with some jokes.
0: Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Jokes of the
1: week. Okay. Did you hear about the restaurant on the moon?
0: On the moon? On the moon. Uh, uh, No. It's okay.
1: I like it when you engage and don't just stare at me like I got a third eye. Well, it's got great food, but no atmosphere though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's clever. That's clever.
1: (laughs) What soulful singer helped me cut all my paper?
0: Cut all my paper. I'm not sure. Scissor. <laughs> and you know, wh- what's the region of the country says it like that? Scissor. Bring me the scissors. <laughs> Isn't it nap town? <laughs> East side nap rats. Where you at? <laughs> I feel like that's where it comes
1: from. Mm. My girlfriend is a sniper, but I know she loves me. You know how?
0: How? She said she missed me. how <laughs> she a sniper did. <laughs> Well, oh because she missed you okay got it got it that's yep, how you know it. that she loves me because
1: she missed me hmm what kind of bee makes milk
0: what kind of bee makes milk i don't know vitamin b
1: boobies <laughs> <laughs> that one's for kingsley he can't stay out of my shirt
0: he too I old now child he too old. oh no,
1: i he haven't nursed old. him in almost a year but he's still like he motorboats me and then he puts his hand in my shirt and when he's going to sleep he has to it's, it's too much. But anyway, uh, moving on to some affirmations. Today, we recognize Abel Antonio Chavez, recently the vice president for enrollment and student success at Western Colorado University, who was selected as president of Our Lady of the Lake University in Texas. Pedro Avila, vice president for student services at Santa Rosa Junior College in California, has been named superintendent president of the Gavilan Joint Community College District as well. So congratulations on your recent endeavors. Activist Malala Yousafzai once said, when the whole world is silent, even one voice becomes powerful. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations, particularly in higher education, where it feels as though the whole world has gone silent on a very salient and obvious issue. While it may feel like you're making yourself vulnerable and being one voice, amplifying your perspectives within the hollows of complicity is an act of resistance that has the potential to build an entire movement, we hope you feel empowered to wield your voice this week, narrowing the void that silence brings.
0: Well, we have come to the end of another episode of Scholar Tea. We will see you all next time and be safe in these academic streets. Mm.